Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Get ready to be inspired as you learn exactly how to own your role. Welcome once again, everybody, to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and excited to have you here for another episode as we've delved into this brand new way that we're going to talk about people's business experience, entrepreneurship, and really helping you become the best entrepreneur you possibly can be. And before we get started, wanted to just put another shout out to everybody, say thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends and your colleagues, uh, liking it and letting people know that it is out there. On a side note story, I just received a brand new client who heard of me because he was talking to his therapist and his therapist is an orthodontist who heard my podcast and told her husband all about it. So when he was talking to his client, he said, you know, you might want to talk or go check out this guy, Dino Watt. And now that guy is a client. So for little moments like that, thank you so much for doing that. Today's show, I think it's going to be really important for everybody to hear because I think all my episodes are important for everybody to hear. But today in particular, I think if there's some one area in my life that I felt like I had to get over the most was understanding my own money issues and my money blueprint, if you will. And I've done a ton of work on that. And we'll probably hear some of those stories today as well. But Lisa Chastain is our guest. And she is somebody who not only is under, understands the idea around your money blueprint and understanding your money issues, but she specifically helps, which I think this is great, women to understand that. Because as I think that we as a society, I know, I still remember as a little kid, my mom, when they got divorced, my mom didn't know how to take care of her own bank account. She didn't know how to do all the things that my dad just automatically did. And it made her really want to know more about it. So she became fierce about it. But I think that happens quite a bit in our society. Hopefully not as much nowadays as it did definitely when my mom was growing up and baby boomers and things like that. But Lisa's going to share with us some really great tips on how you can be more empowered around money. And I just can't wait to share this information for you. So once again, thank you everybody for being here and let's get started with the show. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Dino. Nice to be here. Yeah. So excited to have you. I, I was telling you as we were off the air, reading your bio, just thinking, yep, I know so many women who need this. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm going to be sending you a referral right after we're done with this for somebody I was talking to yesterday about this. Very accomplished, very great, uh, successful, but still has those you know, money challenges inside mm -hmm. of her own uh, mindset. But before we get to all of that, I always love to start off with people's stories. because I think stories is what connects all of us together. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and your story and how you got to this place? Yeah, sure. How much time do we have? Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll give you we'll the, see. <laughs> the cliff notes. I'll give you the cliff notes. Uh, born and raised in Vegas, still live in Vegas. When I lived here, there were half less than half a million people 
well, when I was born here, less than half a million people living here. And it wow. had a name for itself. It's definitely transformed since I've been raised here. Um, I'm a blue collared girl. Vegas has blue collar roots. And my dad's a stagehand. He moved here from Georgia when he was in high school, barely graduated high school to be and take advantage of everything that was going on in Vegas. He jumped into the union and as a stagehand created a life for himself here. So that's my fa my family's route. My mom, my mom met my dad. They moved here. They started a family. My mom's a stay at home mom. So I'll thread my money story into this grew up middle-class um, needs were always met. My dad never made more than $60,000 a year. Mm. So I'm grew up with a great, you know, I have a twin brother and older sister. We never knew that we didn't have our needs met, but we were never taught to dream for more. It wasn't a part of our culture as a family, get a good job, get good health benefits. How many families can relate to that conversation yeah. and, uh, go to college and just don't rock the boat too much. That was the conversation in my household. So at any time I wanted to do anything other than that, it was like pretty scary for my family, very risk adverse money. Wasn't talked about pretty much ever other than no, you can't do that. We don't have the money. We're on a tight budget. Mm -hmm. That was it. So I went to college. I did all the good things that good girls are supposed to do in their twenties, got my college degree, got a job right out of college, got married, had a kid, bought a house that I was set in my twenties. And, um, in, in my thirties, my whole life fell apart and mm. in, in a very purposeful and intentional way at the time, it didn't feel that way. But what I know now is that that, <laughs> sure. that was, that was the way it had to happen for me. I have to learn things the hard way. So says my mom, my entire life. And I woke up at 31 and I was like, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? You would think that having the success that I had, I was making $56,000 a year as the director of advising for the honors college at UNLV. I have no idea how I ended up there. I'm so grateful that I did. <laughs> it was a great job, a great career path. And I threw it away. What I know now that I didn't know then is one, there was a bigger, greater calling for me. Mm. And two, I had a lot of money mindset and inner conversations about my own worth that I was up against mm. and I didn't push through. I broke. Wow. Yeah. I think some, a lot of people can relate to that idea of thinking everything was set and good. And I think especially, so I'm 50, so my generation very much like go to college, figure out what you're going to do at 20 yeah. and just do that for the rest of your life. And that's definitely not the mindset now. I get it, but that was definitely the thing. And I, I know a lot of people who have the same type of story where just a few years after you think everything is going great, whether it be through an illness or a relationship breakup or whatever's going on and your life gets turned upside down. And I, and the security of money is definitely something that we have to think about. And mm -hmm. it would be nice to live in a world where it's just like, ah, oh, we don't need money. We can live on love or whatever, but that's yeah. not the reality of the situation, especially when you have children. It's not. And I had a three-year-old at the time. So I had mm -hmm. to, I had to come to terms with some things, with some things in my life that weren't working through some mm -hmm. tough money lessons. And so that started at 31. I left UNLV to stay at home, to be a stay at home mom. I was following the script without even realizing mm -hmm. I was following the script. My mom was a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. I yeah. fell on the sword for my family. I left my career 
And also what I know now is I had my own glass ceiling about my own earning potential because my dad never made more than $60,000 a year. And I was already making close to that. Yeah. It's so, it's so crazy to me that we have that. Like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, that feeling of, well, dad only made 60. Who am I to make more than that? I, I should be grateful. I should not complain about wanting more. But I mean, 55 at your age, you're already almost matching his salary. That's right. That's right. Wow. At 31. So I left and nine months later, my now ex-husband lost his job. Hmm. So that started a, what it felt like a free fall for us because mm-hmm. some stability growing up in a union family, stability was something that was drilled into us. You have to have yep. benefits. You have to have a 401k or a pension. You have to have these things. And all of that was taken away. Well, I let it go. I'm going to be in a responsible conversation about it. I let it go. Sure. He lost his mm-hmm. job. We started floating on credit cards. I started pulling out of my 401k, pointing the finger at him that it was his fault somehow to get us out and his responsibility to get us out of this mess. And over the course of three or four years, um, he didn't, we ended up getting a divorce Mm -hmm. actually, because of that things went south really fast in my marriage. And then I had to realize that if something was going to change, it had to be me. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2014. Do you remember the first kind of, as you're doing the work to figure this out, okay, something's got to change, it's got to be me. As you're figuring out, do you remember what your first kind of uh, aha around what was taught to you about money and abundance was? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it was that I had to go get a job, that I had to have a job. And I knew when I left UNLV in the back of my mind, in my unconscious mind, I knew I didn't want to work for anybody ever again. But not having conversations at home, every time I went back home for counseling and support, it was like, get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job, get a job. And I did not want to get a job. I did not want to, but I didn't know how to do it any other way. So for me, I had to go, okay, well, let me, I have to figure this out and figure out how I can make money, how I can be successful and not work for someone else. And so I, there were a lot of two steps forward, one step back, figuring out how to do that and investing in myself was something that was very foreign to me. But when I enrolled in my first personal development seminar in 20, in 2014, the doors opened, started to open up about what could be possible. Mm. What was, what was the big uh, aha that you had that was that when you went, Oh, there's something else that's possible. There's another way to look at things. What do you remember what that was? Well, being around an environment of entrepreneurs was one and seeing how Mm. other people were creating success and thinking about success in a new way. I said, well, if it's possible for them, it can be possible for me, but I'd never been around Mm. entrepreneurs before. Mm. And I got an email from farmer's insurance that said, you can make $400,000 a year as a farmer's insurance agent. And I was like, whoa, what is that? That's a a lot more than 60. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'll take that. I don't, I mean, that's what I want. I want that kind of money, but it it just was not around me at the time. I decided to, as a result of that email, I decided to join my best friend's financial firm as a financial advisor. Oh, really? Yeah. So you decided to join as a financial advisor, even though you were just now kind of coming to your financial awakening. (laughs) Yeah, it did not work very well for me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was going to say, how'd that work out? That's great. Nope. I had to try on some shoes that did not fit for a minute. Wow. Being a, not knowing anything about money. I was very naive, but also that's the way I roll. I like, I just jump into things. So I jumped in full force and I figured it out, but I had to figure about, I had to figure some things out about money and about business. And I had to learn some tough lessons. And I, I went, blew through my 401k. I had a hundred thousand dollars saved in my 401k, blew through that, was in ton of credit card debt, trying to figure it out. Ultimately, I think that's the, that's the investment that was the cost of me figuring it out. Yeah. That was a school of hard knocks, right? Your tuition. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was. When you were going through this process, um, what did you, how did you kind of get out of that? And maybe you didn't imposter syndrome of here. I'm trying to teach people about financial responsibility and I'm in doing all of this stuff. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the counselor who's counseling, right? Was there, was there an imposter syndrome challenge? What was happening with you? Definitely as a financial advisor, there was an imposter syndrome, which is what I think led to the ultimate decision to leave the industry. One mm. is as a financial advisor in a private high net worth firm, I was doing mm. a lot to play the part while my life was falling apart behind the scenes. Mm. And I felt very incongruent and also very alone in that experience, which is actually now having coached and mentored financial advisors, a lot of financial advisors feel the same way Mm. that we have to appear a certain way and that we have to do the pomp and circumstance to be able to attract the clients that we want. I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I wasn't in the right environment. And I, I know what I know now is that that was the universe's way of leading me to the path that I'm on today. But definitely felt incongruent and financially had all the results around me that this was not working. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when you left that job, what was, was that your next entrepreneur journey? Did you say like, I need to just kind of create my own security? What, what was the next step? Yeah. So I had $20,000 left to my name in a marriage that was not working. I had to stop mm-hmm. pointing the finger at him and turn the finger mm-hmm. around and look in the mirror. And I knew that if I didn't do something, because I was the one that managed the finances for the household, if I didn't do something that I don't know where I would have been, because my parents were very clear about the fact that coming home was not an option. Wow. Really? So they were doing that tough love, like, Hey, you got to figure this sucker out. I called my mom and she was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, but (laughs) no. Yeah. We were very clear when we, when we packed your shit out and took you out, like packed you out of the house when you were 22 years old, that you were not coming home. We love you. <laughs> so so um, you can send the grandkids, but you can't that's come. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So I knew I had to do something and I actually had been stalking this woman online. Her name's Robin Crane, who she became my coach. So that was the first mm. time I had actually invested in myself, hired wow. a coach and flew out to New Jersey. I had $20,000 left. I paid her $10,000 at the time. That was almost 10 years ago, had $10,000 left to my name. And I said, this is my make or break it moment. And she was coaching and mentoring financial advisors at the time. So I thought, well, she can help me figure out what to do in my advisory firm. Ended up leaving. I was like, this isn't the fit for me. I'm going to do coaching full-time. And that's what I decided to do. 
was there something that she kind of turned you on to that really flipped that switch for you? Mm-hmm. I had no idea that coaching was an option. Oh, that's true. I, I had been, you're paying somebody and you're like, uh, yeah, I had been an advisor and I've always gravitated toward, uh, toward roles professionally helping people. That's what, that's actually what attracted me to be a financial advisor. I couldn't connect the dots. I wanted to help myself with money. I wanted to help other people with money. I thought it was really important and really cool. And younger women were coming to me for advice. Robin just helped me put the pieces together to say, you can have a successful business doing this. Mm. And it was like light bulb moment. Wow. And, and so you left that job, started your own path, coaching, coaching business, yeah. And at that time, were you focused on women at that time? Or was it just kind of like anybody who needed help? I didn't have clarity on who that was going to be to get started. But then through a couple of meditations and exercises, I got clarity. I remember standing in front of the room at the mentorship and she said, close your eyes. Who's in front of you? And it was millennial women, younger women, 10 years younger than me, my age, and I said, this is the, this is the person that I meant to help. And it's been, it took off like wildfire. Well, we, you know, we teach what we know or need to uh, yep. keep learning about. Right. So that makes it perfect. You're talking to an audience you fully understand. That's it. And you are your own ideal client. That's it. So, that's amazing. Where, um, where did you start seeing the connection between the habits that you have that you use in money as an adult to pieces of what you were taught. Like we talk about blueprint. I talk about blueprint a lot. Uh, And I totally believe there's that learned behavior. Like you said, your parents taught you security. Your parents taught you, you know, you want to make sure you have that pension. You want to make sure you have uh, benefits. And at what point did you feel like that was, that you were making that connection to, oh, this is not who I am. It's what I was taught and mm-hmm. I can change that. It was through um, one, Robin had been a money coach. So I learned some, some things from her. And then I had been through some NLP and neuro-linguistic programming based programs that, that helped me make the connection between thought and language and reality. And so mm. once I learned about the five money types, it was eye-opening because most people, one in the money industry, and for sure my parents are one particular money type. And I took yep. the test and I'm not that money type. And then knowing mm. the disc profile and knowing different kinds of leadership personality tests and results, I test so high as an entrepreneur and risk taker. And I had to embrace that and realize that for me to be who I am authentically, I had to learn how to take risk and financially the same thing. But because my parents are, my parents come, you know, I was taught how to live in a scarcity mindset and a penny pincher mindset. I was constantly feeling challenged and disloyal to the way I was raised. Totally. And I was just one day like, F it, I'm going to figure out who I can be and model. That's part of rewiring ourselves. I had to model new behavior and learn how to take new action and coaching and mentoring helped me get on that new path. So as you get on this new path and you're modeling this new behavior, I got to ask this question, like who was, who knowingly, or I think most likely unknowingly was trying to get in your way and stop you from 
from this new mindset? Did anybody in your life kind Everyone. of try to pull you down? Everyone. 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 Like what? Give me some examples. Like what? Um, well, I, I, I broke up with friends, college friends. Wow. Literally, I had to break up with people. I got a divorce. Wow. Yeah. The best, the best friend who I have now finally re, um, we've, we've healed some things, but the best friend that I chose to join her firm, she and I didn't talk for years because you left. Cause I, well, for a whole host of reasons, but one right. of those reasons was sure. I left and oh, she and I didn't no. know how to make, you know, we just didn't know what to do with each other yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, I didn't talk to my family for a couple of years. Wow. Isn't it interesting how much that that influence that they have on us, we don't actually, we're almost almost unconscious about it until we become aware. And now we have to do something about it or we stay in that space there. What was that? What was, was, was your friend the toughest conversation you had or was there a different one? I have to Besides say- Besides when you had it with yourself. Yeah, myself for sure. It was my parents, it, yeah. mostly, my, mostly my dad. It makes mm. me emotional to think about it because I just, I love him so much. And there was so much about our relationship that just didn't work. Mm. And I, I gave my power over to him over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I had to have some really hard conversations with him and also to myself to say, this is who I am. I love you. And I'm still going to be who I am. Yeah. We have these, uh, I just was listening to this thing a couple of days ago and I just been pondering on it quite a bit. It makes sense once you hear it, but when, the, when I heard it, I was like, wow, that's just so strong as, you know, we all have, there are so many different uh, versions of us in the world that even your own parents have a different version of you than who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you know who you are because you are you, but you're the literally only person in the world who has that complete whole version of you broken pieces, all that stuff, because your dad has a different vision of what is his little Lisa, you know, who is she? Yep. He has that vision. And so if you go away from that, now you're telling them that what they think of you is wrong. And it's almost an, an affront. It's, it's telling people nobody likes to be told they're wrong, right? Right. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Something that my therapist calls homeostasis. That is an operating okay. unit. You're in homeostasis. Mm -hmm. And as a family unit, you're in homeostasis. And then the black yeah. sheep, as the black sheep, I broke that operating system. And they mm. didn't know how, they didn't know how to deal with me or who to be with me, vice versa anymore. Right. So we had to create Which a is, new rhythm. Well, what's, what's interesting too is it's not like you were going and saying, Hey, mom and dad, I'm going to, I'm going to start you know, slinging crack on the side of the street. Uh, hey, mom and dad, I've decided to be homeless. You're just changing a paradigm that they have and you're just choosing a different paradigm. And that happens in, in money, it happens in religion, it happens in, in lifestyle. And yet this is where dad's going, no. And, and I get it as a parent, I'm sure you get it too as a parent. You have this, does that mean I did something wrong? Yeah. Right? Did I, what, did I, what did I do that you are now rejecting? What does it say about me? Mm -hmm. it's, and of course, it's not really about you. It's about, it's about oh, me. It's about them, right? Yeah.
always. Wow. Money, that's tough for money. I had to, I had to really stretch outside my comfort zone mm. about what, in what ways? Well, thinking about my money blueprint, we heard, uh, we heard money doesn't grow on trees. Sure. Um, don't go into debt. That's bad. Mm -hmm. That's so, bad. Terrible. That's bad. That's terrible. Also, my sister's a teacher. My brother, you know, he has a pretty stable job. I had to be willing to take a risk of no income to be able to create mm -hmm. a company. And being an author, being a public speaker, sharing and being vulnerable publicly, we didn't do that as a right. thing. And asking yeah. for help, hiring a coach was definitely not something that was taught for me. And I, mm -hmm. it was all counterintuitive action that I had to take. Well, I, I, I guess counter to my blueprint, I had to take action, Right. which now I'm, I'm doing more things intuitively because I'm listening to myself more, but, um, but I had to challenge the blue collared world philosophy about money altogether. Do you remember what was like the biggest thing or, and maybe what still is the biggest thing? Like I'll give an example when, I first was going through this journey. My parents divorced when I was eight years old. And so I noticed when I was first married that my, I had some weird spending habits where we would, I worked in Hollywood. It was a feast or famine type situation. And whenever we had money, we'd get money, chunk of money, and we'd spend it super fast, right? Mm -hmm. And then no money, no money, no money. Super. And as I was going through my process of understanding my money blueprint, I had this aha of, oh, dad used to not pay child support two, three months in a row because he knew he could get away with it. He knew how to work the system. And so we went without, 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 and then he'd have to pay. So he would get a check and it's like, okay, go get shoes and bologna and whatever. Right. And we'd spend it all and then have no money for it. Because yeah. my mom didn't know how to take that and make it work for the whole three months. Mm -hmm. And so I went, oh, I'm, I'm just doing what I was literally taught how to treat money. Mm -hmm. In that sense, did you have anything like that where you were like, oh, that's why I do that? Uh, usually what I, what I've realized with clients is you'll either, you'll either operate the same way that your parents operated or the opposite. The opposite. Sure. Yeah. For me, it was the opposite. I, my mom, oh, I really? just, I, my mom managed the household finances. So I took that on as, as a, as a wife, I still do manage the household finances and I remember she, she, and so many other people would sit down and, and be like, okay, so you have to write your bills out every month and you have to check them off and you have to do the check register kind Balance of thing. That checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> don't spend more than you make. And I was like, that's yeah. not happening. <laughs> Love y'all. Give me the credit card. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, so though, was I that out of, you think that was out of a rebelliousness or was that out of just, I don't know. What do you, what do you think that was out of? I, I like nicer things, nothing wrong with mm. thrift store shopping, but I grew up with a bigger mm. sister and hand-me-downs and very sense people being very sensible. Oh, interesting. My first, my first outfit for my first day of college, it was from a thrift store. Um, not it, nothing bad about it. And my sister to this day, so she's a different money type than I am, but she still has the same clothes from high school. It's a very thrifty kind of mindset. Wow. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, I want nicer things and I want to, I want to have bigger things in my life. I didn't know how to have that happen or make that happen by making more money. So I learned originally how to just go ahead and charge it to get what I wanted. 
I, I find that so interesting uh, about the hand-me-down thing because I, I talk about this with two major things in my life, but I was the same way. I'm the middle child. I have two older brothers and a younger sister. So I got the hand-me-down from the hand-me-down. My middle brother between the two of us was bigger than both of my oldest brother and myself. So he was actually the one who got the most non-hand-me-down stuff or thrift store stuff. But even then, it would be trickle down to, you know, from toys to bikes to clothes. And um, it was such an interesting thing to, like, feel like I I don't have anything of my own. I didn't realize until later on. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, um, braces and performing were my two things where I was the only one who did that or got it. So I became that black sheep, right, the weirdo of the family because it was mine. And nobody gave it to me. Nobody handed it down. and Nobody got sick of something. And after they discarded it, it went to me, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's a big deal. You mentioned the money types. And mm-hmm. I know there's multiple different people who talk about money types, but I'd love to find out more about those. Let's let the listeners know, what do you mean by the money types? What types are there? So the five that I teach that um, Robin created, they model mm-hmm. or they mirror the disc profile in some ways. Oh, Okay. Um, but if you, if, if, so the way that we teach it, we have delusional Delilah, who is me, she teaches it as delusional Dan, but I, you know, I work with women. So delusional Delilah, sure. we think big, sure. dream big, Tony Robbins of the world, get a bigger plate, yeah. right? Yeah. Big goals, big dreams. We don't always take the right action. This is like the entrepreneurial conundrum. You can have big dreams, but you don't always take the action to get it. Sure. That's me to a T. So I had to learn how to start taking the right action to then get the result and take risk. Usually delusional mm-hmm. Delilah's have healthy relationships with risk. Mm. The other side of that is the cheap chip, which is risk cheap adverse. Chip. Yeah. Cheap chip mm-hmm. risk adverse. Doesn't like to take risk scarcity mindset hoards money. Think Warren Buffett cheap chip, buy on value, drive cars that are really old, or Dave Ramsey is a cheap chip. Don't spend money on anything you don't need. Right. Very different money mindsets, different challenges, different strengths. A cheap chip will work a budget. (laughs) A delusional, delusional Dan or Delilah does not want to be slowed down. Um, So we want to be in action. So those are, those are somewhat opposite uh, money types. And then we have the spendthrift Sally, which is your quintessential uh, overspender. Money comes in and out really fast, very, uh, very abundant in mindset. You'll hear them say things like, I can always go out and make more money. It might show up like a more delusional Delilah in behavior, but the why behind it's very different. Spendthrifts aren't thinking about it. They're very impulsive. Delusional Delilah's are usually connected to, I want success. How fast and how quick can I get Mm. success? Different reasons that Mm. we spend money. And then there's the avoider Alice or avoider Al, which is someone who's very conflict avoidant, doesn't really like to talk about their problems, doesn't want to look at their money. Even if they have the money, which happens, they don't pay their bills because it just, they don't want it. They don't want to be bothered by it. Mm -hmm. Right. And for other reasons, people avoid my ex-husband's an avoider. Didn't want to talk about hard conversations. Didn't want to acknowledge problems. That's a challenge. And then, um, and then the over generous Olivia, Mm. over generous Olivia gives, gives, gives my mom's over generous, take the shirt off my back kind of person, mother Teresa mindset. Everybody else goes first. 
And all of those money types have strengths and all of them have weaknesses. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I, I've known for years, I'm so an avoider spender. Um, I can have interesting and challenging conversations, but when it comes to money, it's like, I know I have it. Why am I looking at it? I, I don't need to worry. Like, it'll be there. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm totally that. I've been that for, I've known that for a long time. And the hard part is that both my wife and I are pretty similar in that. And I know a lot of times you'll marry the opposite, but she's just said we've had to have really good systems in place <laughs> to make sure that bills get paid and things happen. And, uh, and I'll, you know, in all honesty, it's still not me who's doing that. I hear about it. I get the report from my accountant and my bookkeeper, but mm-hmm. it's like, she's had to be the person who learns how to do that a little bit more. And she's somebody who's lived on her own since she was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So had that responsibility of doing that and can do it. She just doesn't like it. Right? She doesn't like that. thing. Yeah. So when you discover these with your clients, and again, I know you uh, primarily uh, work with women. Do you find um, there are certain types of uh, working styles or like entrepreneurs versus corporate people that, that, that tend to lean more towards one of these as well? I do. And um, you, you asked a really poignant question about who are you with money? Like, mm-hmm. how do we mm-hmm. know who we are with money? And mm-hmm. what happens through this, the test and the awareness that comes with the test is I believe there's someone that we are authentically based on mm. how we are designed. And then there's all the learned behavior and learned yeah. beliefs that show up also. And some, sometimes some, someone will take the test and be confused. Mm. So for me, I tested high as a cheap chip, but that's because of how I was raised. I'm definitely a delusional Delilah and an overgenerous mm. Olivia. And I had to wrestle with that for a minute to realize mm. that being a cheap chip wasn't serving me. And I did crazy. I did right. things like this. So the, the cheap chip and delusional Delilah wrestled with this until I could fully embrace it because I value success. And I want other people to know I'm successful. I grew up in an environment where we didn't wear name brand clothing. We never got name brand clothing, all of that. So not being a fully transformed and aware and enlightened delusional Delilah at the age of 31, I went out and bought a Rolex or 30 or something, 30 years old. I bought me a Rolex, but it was because I wanted other people to perceive me as successful. I had to try on different kinds of success because I didn't know what that really meant. Now, of course, years later, I don't really care about the Rolex, but that was a big deal back then. Can I ask, do you remember, because now you're talking about like, there's your authentic self versus the the, 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 the learned self. When you had that Rolex, did it make you feel a certain way or I guess have any, were there any repercussions to your own personality when you had that Rolex or wore that Rolex? Because I have a story behind it, but I want to know if that happened to you too. Yeah. For me, it was that I I wanted other people to champion me or, or acknowledge me that I had somehow made it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I laugh because the story is so the same, except mine was a BMW. Okay. I don't care about cars at all. I don't, it's not my thing. And same thing with brands and labels. And I'm so grateful. I married a, a wife who she's like, 
you would not ever catch me buying a, you know, $5,000 handbag or whatever, right? Stuff like that. But I was having some success and making some money and I bought a BMW. And the thing about it is I still to this day remember being in that BMW and being very, very aware that I was aware of people watching me yep. or seeing me in my car and wanting them to acknowledge that I'm driving a BMW and I'm driving down the street yep. as BMW. Not, you know, not to uh, put a damper on it, but the day I got the BMW, all four tires went flat, which cost me an extra of like $5,000 and just <laughs> the BMW. And I immediately was like, maybe this isn't worth it, but no, no, no. But I got the BMW, right? It's so weird that when you say that, because my authentic self is the avoider, but I do, I wanted that, I wanted that status moment. I wanted people mm -hmm. to see like, oh, Dino made it. Yes. Oh, that's so crazy. That's why I asked, because I didn't, obviously, audience, I didn't know this beforehand, but when she was saying that, I went, I wonder if you had the same experience I did with that Rolex of, yeah, oh, yeah. And I, and I could care less about having a BMW now that no way, like, that's not my thing cars, any type of cars like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was trying it on because that was what I thought success was. Mm -hmm. And I had never had that. I mean, in from, you know, yes, never had that before. We always bought used cars and any, anyway. So what I, what I want to relate this back to is your listener right now, whether you're driving, driving to work or on your lunch break or however you're listening to this is that the same stuff goes on for you. Yes. And if you That's don't right. challenge your, if you don't challenge your beliefs around money, maybe you're, maybe you're living a life that is not authentically yours. Mm. And that was a lesson for me. Yeah, it's just, it's very true. I love that authentic, authentic self versus learned self, because I think we all have that in so many things. It could be, you know, your feelings of you know religion or whatever, but definitely when it comes to things like money, I think there's a, a huge amount of us do that, especially if you become entrepreneurs. I probably everybody, I shouldn't say especially, but listening to this is mostly entrepreneurs and you all have that thing. Your spouse does, your kids will. And I know I gave my kids some of that stuff too. I, sure. That's the hard part about being a parent is like, oh, I'm totally training them to look at money this way or that way. So, yeah. wow, that's, that's fascinating. So what do you find is one of the biggest challenges in our modern world right now? Because I think the education opportunities for understanding money and, and whether it be, you know, finances in general or savings or whatever, they're, they're everywhere now, right? There's no, there's no limit to the access of information. Mm -hmm. What do you think is people's biggest limiters or is, let me say women's biggest limiters right now when it comes to money? What do you see the most? I would say two things. One in the world of education, having worked in education, is that anything mm. in the world of education is at least 15 years behind. Yeah. Right. That's 15. True. So it takes time for pedagogy to be mm. set and for curriculum to be set. And whatever you're mm. learning in school or you're learning through that pathway, it's, there's a lag to it. Mm. For, for legitimate reasons. But when it comes to money, there's a lot of information out there that is quickly becoming outdated because money and the world is moving so fast today. Yeah. So that's a challenge. That's a challenge. Yeah, it is. And yeah. that's why older systems are failing us when it comes to the budgeting philosophy, which is what I talk about a lot, is that we have to adapt some new systems to be able to move quicker with money and quicker with the world. 
Well, it's very interesting because one of the, one of the things you talk about a lot is this idea about, you know, just forget or stop budgeting. And that's such a contrarian way of what we've all been taught growing up. And I mean, to be honest, even when I talk about things like going back to the basics, hey, you want to save money, you want or you want more money and not run out of money at the end of your month. Okay, well, go back to the basics. What do you do? You budget it. You don't spend more than you have, all that type of stuff. But you go out a different way. Talk to us about that. It's a pattern interrupt for people mm. because if someone mm -hmm. for in particular, my clients come to me because they failed at budgeting and now they're ashamed mm -hmm. that they did. Now they're ashamed that they can't figure it out or that they feel like they're bad yeah. at money. And so I'm like, well, yeah. just forget the idea or the thought that you have to budget at all or ever. Yeah. Let's talk about a new way for you using your money type as a framework that you can set yourself up for success. So it's basically this nice contrarian way of helping people almost have a reprieve of like, well, then let's yes. stop budgeting and look at it this elsewhere or in a different way That's it. to open their mind up to another idea. That's right. Stop hitting your head up against the wall. Yeah. It's not yeah. necessary. Wow. The other thing is so, for, for women yeah. in particular is that we are in unchartered territory. Women, modern mm. women today, we are confronting challenges and opportunities as women that we never have before. If you think about it in the 1970s, we had 4 million female business owners and today there's over 12. That's mm. not a lot by comparison, but it's growing. In American women alone in the next decade are going to have 30 million or sorry, $30 trillion come our way. So wow. it used to be 10% of the world's wealth was owned by women. And that number is going up. And as we have more yeah. money, as we have more leadership, we have women who are now presidents of countries that have never been presidents of countries before right. we are in new landscape as women and new conversations we have to have when it comes to money. So I want to add to that though, because as you said that, I bet those numbers skyrocket when you think about not just the women who have money, but also the women who are in charge of the money. Because isn't it something like 75% of all household income decisions are made by the, the women? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about that, that skyrockets the number. So even more so how important it is to understand this money mindset. If you're in charge of the money, listen, my wife does a lot of most of, I'll say 90% of the money charging and understanding our bills and all that stuff than I do. I definitely want her to have a good mindset around it so that we're making good decisions as she comes to me and can explain it the way she wants to explain it and all those things. So that's right. So yeah. I'm That's on a, a mission to take it outside of the male versus female conversation. Nice. And when Love we it. talk about money personalities, it neutralizes it. Yes. Hey, you do it this way. I do it that way. Let's play to each other's strengths. Great. I love that. And, and boy, what a great way to look at that too, right? Because now you're, you're getting both each other's strengths, as you say, to help make you both be successful. Two plus two equals four, that's right? right. Uh, two plus two equals six sometimes when you're actually doing it correctly. So I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Great. What is, uh, so when people like engage with you and they go through a process with you, 
they learn their money types, but what else do they do? Like how, how do you really help them kind of just soar in their own world as opposed to, you know, just get by? Well, I don't teach a box. It's a, it's an open dialogue about what do you need to know Mm -hmm. and what, and how can we match action to that so that, you know, you're going to have what it is you say you want. So consistently, the one thing that I do teach that's a little bit more boxy is, is the net worth. I teach couples how to track their net worth. A lot of people don't track their net worth, which is why they're living paycheck to paycheck. Mm. So that's one of the first things that we do together is we look at the bigger picture and really identify what the actual whole is. Because a lot of people would identify their debt as the problem. But if we look at their net worth, maybe it's an absence of assets. That's the problem. Got it. So if you're not accumulating assets, how can, you know, it's so like looking at what's the, what's the actual challenge. And then ultimately I have couples open a spending account or maybe more than one spending account based on purpose. So if you had a spending account and you moved money into a spending account and you used it for just spending on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. all the other Mm -hmm. money that you have in your world and your household can be moved to savings or investing or whatever else you need it for. It breaks the bud. It breaks the paycheck to paycheck cycle by doing that. And I'm assuming part of that is, okay, we're going to put this over here to investments or this to, you know, just play money, just going to go and have fun with that money or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. It's seeing your, your spending money for that purpose so that you can enjoy your money that you have designated for spending. Mm. Wow. Enjoy your money is, is a probably a challenge for a lot of people yes. that enjoy part, right? That's right. Cause we're not, we're not taught that. And like you said, I, it's so, it sounds almost trite when you think about it, of all the little things of money doesn't grow on trees and money is the root of all evil. And my mom taught me very specifically, like growing up, wealthy people were crooks. Yep. Like I heard that over and over and over and over again. Ah, they're wealthy. They're a bunch of crooks. Say like, awesome. So I'm trying to be wealthy, whatever that looks like. It's like, thanks, mom. I guess you're going to think of me as a crook now. And that's another mental challenge you got to get over. That's one of those. It is. Yeah. So that's the other thing that I'm able to support my clients with is let's create some new systems. So you have clarity. Also, I'm a master practitioner in neurolinguistics programming. Oh, great. Because those beliefs came from somewhere. We don't know exactly how that happens. Before the age of seven, we hear those things. We make a decision about the world and we make a decision about ourselves. Yeah. Constantly challenging those beliefs with my clients. And like, when did you make that decision? asking powerful questions. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm here to ask you powerful questions so that you can figure it out for yourself. And then I can give you tools to help you break through it and transform it. Wow. What do you think right now? I'm so fascinated by this and I know we're running a long time, but in our world today, what are some of the big issues you're seeing from, I know you work a lot with millennials, but what, 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 what's generation, you know, Z and Y getting when it comes to money? Cause I'm assuming there's a, I'm not assuming, I know there's a lot of, uh, news type situations where they're saying this is the problem with money and, and capitalism and people, but not, are not, not a lot of those type of young kids, my kids, my youngest is 22. So that age range, 
watching the news, they're watching their TikToks, they're watching that. Right. So what's some of the big stuff that's coming out of that? Um, well, their, their worlds have opened up at a much younger age. Oh. So I think that what we're seeing when it comes to identity and making decisions okay. about who they are, they have access to the world in a way that no other generation ever has. It sure. used to be, and it still isn't most for the most part that um, your household is going to dictate what happens, where, where you go in your life from that zero to seven mm -hmm. age, whatever's going on around you is mm -hmm. going to influence who you become. N nature versus nurture is a whole nother conversation, right? Sure, what I'm, right. I'm, I'm seeing my son's real time. I have a 13 year old and a 15 year old real time challenge everything in our household because yeah. experts are positioning themselves on TikTok, and yes. whether it's true or not it's there it's on TikTok. <laughs> it's there it's true these youtubers my son sent me a youtube the other day a youtube short about how sugar this guy says sugar doesn't make you hyperactive knowing that wow, teenagers that's... don't listen to their parents in the first place who's he gonna believe <laughs> right exactly it's like, well, mom, this guy said it. What's his name? What's his background? It doesn't matter. He's on TikTok. He's got a million followers, so it must be right. Yeah. So they're they're under they're they are, they have a lot of influences. I don't know exactly how that's going to shake out. I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm relatively trusting and optimistic about the way the world is headed. And I think that my kids are privileged to have access to to be able to see what's going on around the world. And that's making uh, them very compassionate. And also uh, um, they, they can make, I think, more informed decisions faster than we ever had. Uh, so the world will transform faster. I believe that. And it's our job, you and my, our job as leaders right now to make sure that we're having the right conversations with our young people and asking the right questions of them versus top-down management, which has been where yeah. our parents were raised. It's gotta be a conversation yeah. moving forward. So are there any uh, specific areas around money that you have any concern about, about what the message out there right now around money that on a, on a learned level, societal learned level that they're, they're getting and that you're concerned about or. Not necessarily. I think that there is a much bigger conversation about investing than there ever was oh, before. Yeah. Kids, I have parents coming to me whose kids want to know more about investing now. Susie Orman did her job. Good job, Susie, about making <laughs> sure you invest at a young age. They uh -huh. can do that now. There's apps available for kids to start investing now. How cool is that? Yeah, that's amazing. The other side of the coin is let's make sure that we're investing in the right things. Yeah. Cryptocurrency, we saw a lot happen there. Our kids are watching that. They're absorbing that. Mm -hmm. So their futures may feel uncertain, but I do believe that they want, they want more information. They want more access to bank accounts and money now. And, uh, that's a cool thing. I think they don't need to, we don't need yeah, to be scared no. of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that the, if I would have been able to have access to, or known what I could have known back at, you know, between 20 and 30 and started back then, what a different world I would have right? And different opportunities. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is obviously a topic because it's money that we could talk about forever. And I just find it fascinating. Everybody's perspective of it and everybody listening to this call has their own, like you say, blueprint and mindset around it. 
And the fascinating, I think the great thing about it is that it can be changed. Like you can do the work to change it up a little bit if you want to. We always end our show with a couple of questions that I ask everybody that are just rapid fire questions. Are you willing to play? Let's go. Awesome. What do you feel is your greatest responsibility on earth? Mm, Being a parent, number one. Hmm. What do you feel is true leadership? Being willing to have the uncomfortable conversations, but the conversations that matter. Hmm. And lastly, unfortunately or fortunately, I guess you can look at it either way. uh, Every single one of us will come to that day where we will end our journey here on this earth. So between now and dead, what experience do you hope to have? I want to dance at my son's wedding. That's always such a great one. I had one gentleman on my very first episode of the Own Your Role who said, I want to, I want to be present and aware at my granddaughter's wedding. And I went, oh, I never thought about that. That's true. Yeah, yeah of course, dance it, and you will. That's, the, that's my prayer for you too, is that you will dance at your son's wedding. And especially with uh, the ability to know that you are affecting so many lives in a positive way because I believe your work and then one of the reasons why I thought it'd be great to have you on the show is because the work you're doing primarily in the space of women helping, uh, helping women understand their ability to understand money and grow in money and not understand in the sense that they don't, they can't comprehend, understand that we've all been taught something that is, can be a challenge and you don't have to, conform to the blueprint and the mindset that you're given, you can actually change that up just like you did. I mean, what a great example you are for someone who went through the kind of the whole spectrum, right? Of like, yeah. oh, just do whatever he tells me to do. Oh, wait, my world crashed. Oh, okay, I got to figure something else out. And it's a, it's a really great arc of a story. And I am so grateful that you are willing to share that with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me share. Absolutely. Well, everybody, um, before we do go, at least I forgot this, let's please let everybody know where they can contact you and get a hold of you and find out more about your amazing uh, program of Stop Budgeting. Amazing. Thank you. LisaChastain.com, easiest place to go. Also very active on Instagram, Savvy Money with Lisa. Nice. And on Instagram, are you giving tips? Are you interviewing people? Like what's your main focus? I I actually have my own podcast. It's called real money. That's on YouTube also. So you can follow stories, actually coach people on the show. So you can get an idea of what it would be like to be in the hot seat with me and um, yeah, giving tips, a lot of mindset and stories, because that's where we transform. There's a lot of financial information out there, but I really want to make sure that we can help you transform through stories and know that you're Mm. not alone. Love that so much. But then definitely everybody go listen to the podcast and follow her on social media and reach out. You never know. Like even just the little tips that can help you just change your mindset and completely change your world because of that. Not only yours, you know what? It's not just you. As we talked about here, it's the generational change that can happen. Because yep. when you are educated on it and you get this information and you can share that with your kids, even if you think they're not going to listen, it's another way to think about it and at least give them that information. So yep. 
Everybody, thank you so much for being here. Lisa, again, you're a pleasure to talk to. And for those of you that are listening to the show for the first time, thank you for being here. For those of you that are regular listeners, please make sure, again, you share this podcast and make sure you like. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.